Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Wilander. I'm Sandra Winka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Hello and welcome to The Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph and with Eurosport. This week, live from Waterloo Station, where David Law and I are surrounded by both pigeons and signs uh, asking us to help Waterloo Station uh, prevent uh, the domination of pigeons, which I don't think we're doing because our table is scattered uh, with coffee cups and tea bags and milk and um, all the sort of stuff which apparently attracts I pigeons. I think they've spotted our microphone tennis podcast cubes and are fancying gate crash in the show Rosie style. There, there is a little harem of pigeons. I don't think that's the official term for a group of pigeons but there is a uh, small harem gathering uh, to our right so uh, I'll I'm take gonna, a photo of them just, just to turn prove my back this. on them and uh, try to ignore their presence uh, in our recording but if you hear the flapping of wings that is what is going on David Law uh, is alongside me for the first time uh, since sort of midway through second week of the US Open at which stage I was stricken uh, by the lurgy and uh, you've hot-footed it from uh, the BT Sport commentary booth, David. Yeah, where I've just been commentating on uh, all manner of matches and an and increasingly taxing season is taking its toll on a number of players. Garbini Magarutha has arrived from Wuhan, she says, with a virus. She, she lost 6-1, two love retired. Sloane Stephens has played four sets of tennis since the US Open and lost the lot. 6-2, love And, I mean, her, I don't know how, she, how she's feeling physically, but in her post-match press conference, she said that, you know, just didn't happen today and hopefully next week. But I saw match point in that particular match. Maybe she just thought this isn't happening today because, frankly, she wasn't even running for ball. So I don't know whether she's feeling unwell, but she certainly didn't look up for it. But she's possibly not the best example, I think, of the wider point you're making about everyone just looking completely exhausted because, of course, she's played less than half the season uh, that the other players have played. And, and with exceptions, everyone looks... They've got that sort of slightly David Law-esque hollow eyed look Wait, to them. What? I'm saying you are quite often quite tired, oh, David. Okay, thank you, Catherine. <laughs> um, but the thing is, one thing I would say, I mean, I agree with you, it is, it's a, it is a long season. I know it's faffing around on planes and going to tennis tournaments and playing tennis matches and living the life of Riley, so really you shouldn't be too sorry for them, but it is quite tiring, I think, um, but, for but them. We're not necessarily, you know, commiserating or you know offering our huge sympathy but it is just a fact no, if you're knackered you're knackered yeah it is a fact one thing i did talk to sam smith former british number one on air about today though when we were doing angelique kerber's match she lost incidentally to elise Cornet. we were talking about how once you've got to the very peak if you're not the sort of player who's necessarily going to dominate or do this over and over again or if you're just not of that personality type it is possible that you may get to that position and find it quite hard to motivate yourself again and 
although I think Kerb has tried hard this year, she's quite clearly more happy within herself, being a little bit more within the pack rather than the standout player. Sloane Stevens, we've no idea yet whether she really is going to be quite. I know she she was she was quite endearing and funny in her post match uh, on court interview at the U.S. Open, saying. Are you kidding me? Did you see that check in terms of how much she wanted to win again? But, I mean, realistically, she's a multimillionaire. Is she bothered enough by multiple trophies to keep on doing it, particularly at events that don't have $3.6 million an offer to the winner and history of that type? And when you're not necessarily, there's no sort of big fat dangling carrot in front of you but albeit financial or you know okay she had an outside shot of making Singapore but I don't think enough for that to be um, an enormous motivator at, at the front of her mind and the fact is the race to Singapore I, I know Joe Conter isn't there yet and we'll talk about her strife shortly but the fact is it's pretty much set uh, with the exception maybe of Konta, Kuznetsova, Ostapenko. So there's not a lot for these women to be playing for, finances aside. If you're knackered, I do think that trip east uh, is the most punishing jet lag-wise. I know Australia is punishing, but you you know it's at the start of the season, you're most fresh, you generally go out there nice and early and have more time to adjust, etc., etc. I think this one's tough because I think... That the players want to take as much time as possible off after the US Open so they're probably not going out really early and frankly just I mean just coming back from New York for me I slept for 17 hours straight uh, the first day I was back I I didn't know that was humanly possible until (laughs) you told me that I woke up for breakfast for 20 minutes it was in La Manga first day in La Manga I was thinking I'm going to play all this tennis uh, and yeah, I just slept for 70. I could not keep my eyes open. It was extraordinary. And it, it, but on the way out, I was fine. I do think west to east is very, very difficult. And yeah, look, look I'm not offering them my huge sympathy for suffering from jet lag after their first class flights to a, to a, a week where they're being treated wonderfully and get to play tennis for a living. But it's a fact. It's tough, you know. That you can have all the money in the world, but you can't pay jet lag to stay away. You yeah, can't the other thing. This, this time of the year as well things are so crammed together because you know the, the final of Wuhan took place two days into Beijing which I, I mean I'm sure there is a, a perfectly decent logistical reason why that is the case but I do think that that is self-defeating and, and, and a shame because you know you want to make all this hoopla about the final of a big Premier 5 tournament like Wuhan and celebrate Caroline Garcia's brilliant win her first major win of that ilk up against the story of the tournament in many ways in Ash Barty and yet here you are on day two of Beijing and it's Maria Sharapova against Anastasia Savastova and it's like what Surely you want to give a window, first of all, to the Wuhan final. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're raising all these issues and they're, they're not new debate points in tennis, are they? They're well-worn out debate points and um, we don't have any answers, do we? I mean, you can't, you don't want to get rid of any of these events off the calendar. They've all got their right to be there. They're all paying their money. They all in the majority are well attended and I, I do think the attendance is growing in the Far East I think it's yes. taken its time but I do think it's getting there yeah it is and, and that that tournament in Wuhan there were some disappointments with certain players struggling but it was a fantastic final for a start I mean I, I didn't actually get to watch it live but I watched it recorded today I didn't realise that Barty was serving for the match and Garcia I, I almost want to say of all people because she's not really shown herself to be the type over the years to me that she's somebody who will dig out victory from the jaws of defeat. She's not known for her grit, is she? No, and yet she showed something this last week. Whether she can carry that on, who knows, but good for her. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, a week where all four semi-finalists, Barty, Sakari... Uh, Ostapenko. Ostapenko, who we're going to talk about a lot as well. And, of course, Caroline Garcia, all under the age of 24, mm. I believe, which is pretty exciting, I think, yeah. for women's tennis. It's a, you know, we hunt a big event. And, so, and, and Barty, I mean, Garcia, if you didn't remember, is the player that 
Andy Murray picked as a future world number one all those years ago when she was a set and four one up against Maria Sharapova at the French Open. He was watching on TV and he said, "Mark my words, this is a future world number one." Now maybe, maybe that's a stretch at this point. But Ash Barty has gone through a pretty tumultuous time of her own gone the scenic oh. route gone into another sport completely gave up tennis a couple of years ago took up cricket became pretty good at that then came back to tennis is there a better story in tennis than ash barty i mean the answer is probably yes because there are so many great stories uh, in tennis at the moment and uh, serena williams giving her daughter the initials of the australian open because she won the Australian Open with her earlier this year. That's a pretty good story. What's the name? Waiting to happen. Alexis Ahanian. Alexis Olympia Ahanian. Pretty cool. I like, yeah, that. I like that. And then if, you know, uh, we're getting ahead of ourselves here, but if she goes on to win the Australian Open in January with baby daughter by her side. Anyway, that's just one example of one great little story. But, I mean, as a wonderful... I mean, you, can make, you could already, I think, make a film out of... Ash Barty. You'd probably need her to win, you know, Wimbledon or something for scriptwriters to actually take note and do that. But it's a it's a cracking story. Junior Wimbledon champion, just fell out of love with the game, didn't enjoy the pressures of it. Just she's just, she's a very relatable human being, isn't she? Such a watchable style of play. Martina Hingis esque. You tweeted, I think, earlier in the week that it, if you don't like watching Ash Barty play tennis, you don't like tennis. Um, and I think that's a really and, and, a look, comment. And, and she's she also has the advantage of being a player that because it's a style that you don't see that often nobody wants to play her not least joe conta i mean it's just it's it's awkward isn't it it's yeah. not it's not an enjoyable experience for big hitters and of course conta had got herself back from love six love one down in the first round against barty to serve for the match and then end up losing it in a deciding set tiebreak. So a bit of a heartbreaker for Conta, who then went on to have further problems, which we'll, we'll come on to. But Barty's run, I mean, she beat all the top players, basically, to, to end up getting to the final and very nearly took the title. And in terms of that style of play, I, I can't think of anybody, really. I mean, I'd, I'd almost have to go back to somebody like Amelie Moresmo or... Justine Ennan in terms of I mean okay she doesn't have a single-handed topspin backhand but she has that slice to add to the the forehand she's happy to come forward she's a great doubles player she's not tall um, but my goodness is she fun to watch yeah and she took care of Yelena Ostapenko an example the, the prime example of big hitters not enjoying playing her I mean was there ever a greater contrast no in although styles? Uh, <laughs> another one Ostapenko just hit the wall she'd, she'd had a lot of big heavy duty matches and she just got frankly nothing left in the tank really. so what's the answer David Law I to don't all know. these players hitting the wall I, d- I don't know I mean I think I think that they ideally you would take some tournaments out of the calendar you would stop but given them playing that we quite as many no that's, that ain't happening no, I don't know what the answer is then. No idea. What was your? What's your? You've got a secret jet lag trick, haven't you? What's that? Can you sure can you market it and make players. your millions? <laughs> really? <laughs> no, no, oh, it's I, legal for tennis podcast listeners, though. Yeah, so share your secret. It's these little uh, gummy bear sweets. You that can call them got, gummy bears. Or you can make them sound innocuous all you like, David. <laughs> apparently, they've got melatonin in. Uh, apparently, that's all right. Do you think that's what the players could write on their? TUE um, declaration Maybe. forms, L- little gummy bear things. TPUE tennis podcast exemption. TUE. I don't know. I, I can't even. I'm so tired. I can't remember the talk. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You need some gummy bear type things. Um, so yeah, we've got no answers, have we? No. Well, no, well, no feasible answers. I mean, yeah, I agree. Take some tournaments. What or, would you or, like or, do? Of... What would Catherine and listeners do? Uh, don't know. I, I really don't know. Uh, yeah, take some. Tourna- there are too many tournaments, but we we all know that's that just isn't happening. There's just no way. You know, not to it's more likely that they'll add. I mean, we're adding stuff. For the we great spent last to good. week talking about the Labour Cup. 
you know, it's good though, isn't that's it? a complete bonus. That's, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we we briefly touched upon the fact that, you know, it, it, celebrating this addition to the calendar in the context of all this, you know, the debate about the calendar just being far too long, ridiculous. I believe that ITPL isn't returning this well, year. Well, put it this way, the website hasn't been updated <laughs> for about... Well, the social media, no posts for about four months, and the website says can't be found. So that'll be a brief extra respite for the top players although you know they'll play exhibitions to in lieu of that won't they well but certainly the very top players will. there's fewer there's fewer opportunities now to play tennis because of the supposed demise alleged demise of ipto so you know maybe that will help them have a proper holiday proper holiday what three and a half weeks <laughs> Sounds brilliant. Can we have one of those? Uh, right then, who else to talk about? Yelena Ostapenko, someone who's hit the wall. Garbina Muguruza retired earlier on today in Beijing. She seems to have completely hit the wall, which is a shame because you want to see her walking onto the court as the world number one, which, which, which she did for her first match. She strode onto court, but I, I'm not sure what she's well, got left. I think the one hope is that, I mean, she talked about feeling as though she got a virus coming on. Hopefully that's a cold of some ilk. And, I mean, she still has got two and a half weeks until Singapore starts. So let's hope that by the time she plays that first match in Singapore, she's bang on it. Because the sport really could do with a world number one coming in and carrying that mantle like the world number one and others targeting her. That's that's what the sport needs. That's what the WTA finals needs. Yeah, I completely agree. I love hearing uh, bang on it said in a Brummie accent, by the way. It sounds so much better than when I say it. Bang. Bang. See? It's sort of got a little, little it's got a mini, mini extra syllable on the end there. Excellent. Um, there was another event going on uh, last week uh, on the WTA Tour in Tashkent, Uzbekistan. You ever been to Uzbekistan? No, David I can't give us a little travel Not review yet, of no. Uzbekistan. I can't tell uh, you who was... i tell you, I did see one match where both players were wearing leggings and hoodies. <laughs> <laughs> it was so hot. It's like playing tennis in Solihull. Um, the tournament Solihull's was glorious. Sorry, tournament was won by Katerina Bondarenko. Oh, did I tell you about the match I played uh, in Solihull on that subject the is other day? Is it Solihull? Is the, uh, is the emphasis on Hull? Yeah. It's not Solihull. It's Solihull. Solihull. Yeah. And, uh. and did I tell you about how... I did tell you on, on Messenger, didn't I, about if I could just bottle that performance. Yeah. That's a sort of humble brag, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. It's in not fact, even on reflection, that's a massive humble brag. Well, you're sort of saying, "Oh, I was brilliant tonight, but I can't be brilliant. I can't be that brilliant all of the time." Can't be against you, which is the <laughs> the major annoyance. Anyway, Tashkent, Bondarenko, the winner, but the story—no offense to Bondarenko—Vera Zvonareva, who almost, almost reached her second uh, consecutive WTA final on her comeback, 33 years of age, two years, she is 33, I looked it up, yeah. I'm googling that sharpish, I can't believe it. Well I googled it at 33 years of age. Sure you didn't put a typo in that? How is she 33? Well, Wikipedia thinks she's 33 years of age. What does Wikipedia know about it? Let's have a look. Uh, well, didn't she? She reached two Grand Slam finals. Two Grand Slam finals, US Open and Wimbledon. Uh, she's been out. 33, she's, she Yeah, is. she's 33, yeah. 1984. Ooh. Goodness me. Um, 198 in the world. So she's had a couple of years out, but realistically, it's been more than a couple of years since she's been, yeah. you know, a going concern uh, in women's tennis. <laughs> and she's just decided. She's decided to have another stab. Yeah, good for her. That's fantastic news. I'm really um, pleased. So, yeah, I mean, she's still ranked, you know, she's got no great ranking to speak of. We're not going to see her. I suppose she'd be in with a good shout for wild cards at Slams, I suppose. Certainly those where she's been a finalist, I would expect her to get wild cards. I don't know yeah. whether we'll be seeing her in Australia. But anyway. 2012, she finished... Her lowest finish in 11 years because of injury. Then she didn't play in 2013. Played just five events in 2014, eight events in 2015. Yeah, I mean, she's basically been out of the game for four or five years. That was all off the top of your head, wasn't it, David? And my phone. You're encyclopedic head. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, welcome back, 33-year-old Vera Zvonareva. Brilliant. Who we've all branded um, just old here on the tennis <laughs> podcast it's a bit rich isn't it <laughs> yeah uh, actually another comeback i've just thought of as well i've been reading about recently a couple of big results for belinda Bencic, oh, who i've yeah. seen posing with trophies and looking happy and she is somebody who 
you know, two years ago, we thought this is a player who's going to be a regular in the top ten and winning slams or at least competing for slams I really hope she's back yeah like Barty another just just a different a, type of player a glory to watch uh, and another Hingis-esque player of course she's had the direct influence of Martina Hingis and her mum uh, worryingly for, for Bencic the most recent um, injury setback for her was wrist and you hear the words wrist injury in tennis and you, you do shudder a bit don't you because Obviously, we hope this isn't the case, but very rarely does someone have a wrist injury, have a surgery, take some time off, whatever, come back and never again experience problems for the rest of their career. That's, that's, I can't think of an example of that very sadly. Um, but we wish her well. She's still only 21. Oh, that's a bit more <laughs> reassuring, isn't it? Because, uh, yeah, 33 was a bit much. Um, yeah. Yeah, I saw her her pose. I know that because I saw her posing, I think, on Instagram with a 21st birthday cake. It was a while ago, though, so we've missed the opportunity to say congratulations. Uh, We had men's events in Chengdu and Shenzhen last week. Uh, In Chengdu, we had Dennis Istomin, the titleist. Um, Very well done to him. Very happy moment for him, but a truly distressing moment for Marcos Bagdatis in the final who was going for his first title in seven yeah. years I mean and, and a very large part of the reason he hasn't won a title in the last seven years is because he's been so very blighted by injury lovely lovely guy probably would be the first to admit he's not maxed on his potential due to factors including injury um, but there's there's few players who are unilaterally wished as well as Marcos Bagdatis. Yeah, he um, seems like a lovely fellow. Absolutely nobody would have wished for... He was crestfallen. Oh. He was absolutely devastated. 2-3 down in the first set of that final that he'd worked so hard to get to. He served and basically fell over because he, his his body just would not hold him up. He pulled something, I think, in his back or something like that. And, yeah, poor old... And very nice moment. Dennis Sisterman came over to console him immediately on the floor. Oh, it was hard to watch. Is it further evidence of just what a brutal, physically demanding sport this has become? I know there have always been injuries, but, you know, the, the Bagdatis um, injury occurred in the same week that we've heard that Janko Tipsarovic is having to have yet more surgery. He's, he says he, this is going to be his last thro- throw of the dice. He's going to attempt to come back or plans to attempt to come back once more after that. I mean, the, the, the sport has never been more physically brutal uh, than it is right now, and I think there's you know plenty of evidence for that out there. Um, but, yeah, well done, Dennis Isterman. I've been to Chengdu. Um, <laughs> you don't look that pleased with it. I, if I was making a trip to Chengdu, I would be annoyed if I didn't come away with a trophy in my hands. And you didn't. <laughs> I didn't. No, to come away empty-handed, having spent a week in Chengdu, um, let alone with an injury, uh, would, is a pretty sorry state of affairs. She comes to Solihull. The pandas, great. pandas are great, but um, other than that, I don't have a particularly glorious uh, tourist write-up about Chengdu. What's I'm Shenzhen not going like? to slag off Shenzhen because I've never been there. I'm okay. sure it's wonderful. Yeah, I haven't been either. But anyway. Um, they had a wonderful final, yes. Goffin and Dolgopolov. Dolgopolov played the match of his life. Goffin? How has David Goffin not won a title since 2014? That That's was sort of, that was sort of isn't it was it? just a stat that had sort of passed me by a bit until he won this one. Yeah, um, remember when I said uh, that is won, a match I'd love to see a few lost, months back? Did you? I did. Yeah, yeah. Look it up. Um, but I didn't actually see it after all that. <laughs> <laughs> I was busy. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. But, but I bet it was good. I'm going to go and watch that on catch up. Um, I. Uh, Ended up watching it because I was alerted to the quality of the match by student Matt, who tweeted that it was a glory to behold. Oh, rub it in. Yeah, uh, and it was great. And David Goffin, first title uh, since 2014, he'd lost five finals on the bounce. Yeah, there we go. Well and, done, David. Uh, and after all that injury uh, issues after all, he's all, had as well. of, all of that hoo-ha uh, in France, that's all uh, pretty good for him, isn't it? Yeah. Any other business, David? Can I just say as well, uh, Cam Norrie uh, has, Ooh, yeah. has won another challenger title and got himself inside the world's top 150. I did see one tweet from somebody who said, is he going to be the next one who's too good for the challengers but not good enough for the main tour? Which is a bit harsh because he hasn't really had a go at the main tour yet. 
I really have no idea. He has a slightly funky technique. If you just look at his technique, he doesn't necessarily look like somebody that's destined to be top 30 or top 50 or necessarily. But, you know, there's so much unquantifiable about what makes a difference between a 120 in the world and a 60 in the world. And there is, there is an awkward nether zone, which players can sort of be caught in, isn't there, where you're... (laughs) I don't think you did, I was going to say between about 80 in the world and 120 in the world. I I thought you were going to say between has been and never was. (laughs) How long have you had that line prepared? Just came up with it. Um, Yeah, there is an awkward, awkward nether zone of, you know, you you can be thrashing away on the the Challenger Tour, but that can, no matter how well you do, it can only get your rankings so high. And you have to make the call to try and qualify for Masters and Grand Slam events. That effectively takes this huge chunk out of your season. You have to decide whether to invest in trying to make the leap up or stick around on the Challenger Tour knowing that there's a ceiling to how high you can go. Yeah, because there have been players that have got to 70 in the world in the past without even playing on the Tour properly. Absolutely. So uh, there is going to be kind of a, a tipping point for Cam Norrie, I think. I like his attitude. Um, I like... I, I, um, it's inter- He's got an interesting story, having gone through the college system. He's got a funky accent uh, and a funky Join the club, technique. Cam. No, I mean funky in terms of it's sort of three different accents rolled into one and you can't quite place it. I think South African-born, moved to New Zealand then to Texas for uni but has Welsh and Scottish parents so make of that what you will um, but he, he's yeah he's an interesting one to watch so the next uh, few weeks and months are going to be interesting you'd hope that he can get just high enough for direct entry into the Aussie Open that's surely got to be his immediate goal I would have thought he might just fall short on that because of the amount of tournaments left but you know he's moving in that direction isn't and it? he qualified so. for the US Open so um you know, he's not going to be afraid of the task of qualifying. While we're on Britwatch, should we do Joe Conta? Yeah, I think we're better. What's going on? Well, she's lost five matches in a row, and her last two matches she went uh, love six, love one down, as I mentioned with Ash Barty, and then yesterday against Monica Nicolescu, she went five love down after about 15 minutes, and she just could not play tennis. Like a like a tennis player does, you know, like a pro. So, I mean, not even it was what she was doing in the first set was not even top fifty, not top hundred. You know, she could not string rally balls together, and I don't know whether I think. I mean, I think it's just lack of form, lack of wins, lack of confidence. Confidence is just everything, isn't it? Really, when you when in any and walk you, of life, you kind of feel even more so to someone like Joe Conta. So, like, you, you know. To, we know she is fragile. We know it. She's found this formula that works for her, but it it does sometimes feel like a pack of cards, a house of cards that can just just tumble down. And at the moment, it feels like it's in free fall. There is a caveat to all that, which for her and her style of play, she has had nightmare draws. As soon as I saw Monica Nicolescu's name next to hers, I thought, oh no. Yeah, if you've not seen her play before, she hit slice forehands not when she's stretched out wide like a squash shot <laughs> just when she's rallying the ball down the centre a bit like is you she know, the David Law of the WTA you just you described your game to me the other day as slice and dice yeah, but which is my nightmare I know, is it yeah oh good no Thanks my nightmare in terms of I just don't enjoy playing slice and Great. dice. <laughs> David's face is like I did up. actually play my wife the other day and although she beat me um, she, I did discover too late in the day but I did discover that if I stopped trying to hit these flowing topspin ground strokes and I just hit slices to her she didn't like it so I'm going to keep doing that yeah but there's no glory in that David oh, there's every I mean you think Monica Nicolescu's worrying anyway her game was too much for Joe Conta 6-1-6-2 I mean Sam Smith said to me today that Conta needs to go play in Hong Kong next week hopefully draw players that are a lot lower down and don't have such formidable games and just give Conta some rhythm and some routine I mean she is still in pole position as things stand 
for, for WTA finals qualification. She's got an 800-point cushion, but there are players like Garcia and Van der Wey who could overhaul her, but basically they've got to win the title in, How in Beijing. How much do you think this is about the pressure of knowing that she can only lose Singapore now? She's in that pole position. She's been in it since she started this losing run. Uh, which let's say that started US Open first round against Alexandra Krunic. Um, I don't think that was about Singapore, but let's say after that, it's been hers to lose, 100% hers to lose. Uh, we talked last week about how desperately she wants to get there. Do you think if she can just get over that line, get that qualification for Singapore, and okay, it's not 100% in her hands, but assuming she gets there, do you think suddenly then there'll be this big relief, she'll start playing that free-flowing confident brand of tennis of Joe Conto again or do you think it's going to take some time to build up well I I think there's a decent chance particularly if she could get a a, a semi-decent week somewhere beforehand I think she's perfectly capable with the pressure off playing against better players in a situation like that of turning it around and having a very decent WTO finals but I don't know her well enough to know what makes her tick. It's, it, I don't think any of us do, really. And also, she doesn't even know what's going on at the moment. I mean, it must be, it must be quite hard to take in that regard. Have you been able to glean anything from Winfrey's visits to the court? He came on at three losses? love yesterday, um, and he said, "Look, now we start again. We build from here. Love three down, point by point." He's he's trying to do what he's done all year long to great success, which is to just keep her calm and focused and not panic but at the moment she just and she you can see her trying to be methodical but her game is just gone and I, I don't know I don't know where Are there parallels with Jeannie Bouchard on a more small time scale? Maybe I uh, remember once when we were first talking about the, the, the fall from grace of Jeannie Bouchard uh, in terms of rankings I can't remember if it was you or me or a third party, but she was described as like a malfunctioning robot. You know, the the, the plan A when it works is yeah. is great. You know, she stands her ground game. on that baseline. But then when it stops working, when the confidence goes, when someone slices and dices to her, it falls apart very, very quickly. Ne- neither one likes to take a backward step, and I'm not even sure that either one of them really could, game-wise. They, no. they are about standing up and trying to dominate from the baseline with metronomic and methodical powerful ground strokes that is their game and I'm not sure that is adjustable particularly no and it makes rhythm particularly important but I also think that Bouchard is so confident in her own ability that she refuses to to believe that she can't just still go out and dominate people Surely the world number, uh, you know, the number 80-something next to your name has got to make you lose confidence in your own ability. Doesn't seem to be much of a shrinking violet to me. Doesn't seem to be overly concerned for her lack of form. Is there an element of understatement there, David? Yes. Jeannie Bouchard, not a shrinking violet, says David Law. There's a headline. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. 
Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Shall we move on to our uh, movie review segment of the podcast? Yes, why don't we do that? A, 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 a tennis podcast first. Oh, do, do we really have to this, do Beijing it? predictions? No, we don't. Have to. I don't no. know why I even mentioned Britney. <laughs> Just no. We've, we've proved ourselves to be utterly unequipped. Incompetent. Completely yes. incompetent. Um, so, we've both seen Borg versus McEnroe this week, which, depending on what part of the world you're in, might be called Borg slash McEnroe, or it might just be called Borg because I believe that's the title under which it was released in Sweden. Uh, it's a Swedish-made film, or largely produced by a Swedish production company, uh, so the emphasis is on the telling of the Borg-McEnroe rivalry from the Borg perspective. Well, they do, although they do attempt a little bit to delve into the psyche of McEnroe, but he's definitely the foil to, the, to Borg's leading man. Uh, it focuses on a snapshot in time of their rivalry around about June, July uh, 1980, the time of their famous Wimbledon final uh, where they played the 16-14 tie-break won by McEnroe, but the eventual final won by Borg. That's the denouement of the film. David Law, movie reviewer. How many stars are you giving it? I would give it four out of five. Four out of five. Now, the movie posters around London have uh, been uh, all featuring the uh, reviewer's quote, not from David Law, from uh, somebody who actually does movie reviewing for a living, uh, saying, Not that I could. Uh, this is the best tennis movie of all time. Now, I think that's the faintest of faint praise <laughs> with which a film could be damned. Yeah, I don't I mean, know about you. I don't I think I've seen think, them all. I could only think of two. Yeah, I've not seen them all. One is the dreadful match point Woody Allen film, and the other is Wimbledon, which doesn't deserve any of our breath or airtime. <laughs> so, um, do you know, I, it, I, it, I, is, it is unequivocally <laughs> the best tennis film I've ever seen. Do you know, I actually saw the, the, the film Wimbledon uh, at a preview screening in New York ahead of the 2003 US Open alongside just about every tennis player and every coach and every agent and every official that I knew in tennis. Were they groans? And there was, no, there was uproarious laughter at (laughs) the staging of the Wimbledon final on court two at Wimbledon. (laughs) Which, uh, and and just, and the, the, the set piece matches of, uh, where you're meant to believe that some of these rallies are are real. I mean, they're, they're, they're so badly handled. Um, yeah. And that is something... So, Borg McEnroe uses zero 1816, archive... 1816, by the way, the time break. 1816. It uses zero archive footage, um, which, depending on your view, I went to see it uh, with a colleague of mine from Eurosport. She wished there had been archive footage. I actually... I thought it was all so well done, that aspect of it, the match play aspect of it. Um, that I was sort of glory, I was reveling in that, in how well it it was done. So it didn't bother me so much. Um, I know what has bothered John McEnroe. He's given some fantastic quotes about it. He said um, they've made me look like a jerk, and he says I was a jerk, but at least accurately portrayed me as a jerk. He says, you know, some of the stories that made him look like a jerk weren't true. You know, yeah. why why not tell the truthful stories that made him look like a jerk? Well, I know for a fact that one or two of the things that they did portray about him, he, d- he didn't like very much, as you say. Um, actually, what I would say, though, is he watched that film, I am reliably told, on a, on a computer. 
before it was released publicly. So he didn't re- see the final cut of it. Now, I believe one of the scenes that he was upset about has been altered already, so he probably won't be quite as upset about it now. Out of interest, and I'll try and do this without spoilers, is it the scene involving Peter Fleming? It was indeed. So if you see that <laughs> that scene, you'll know what we're referring to. The other thing, and, and I, I, re- I was watching this film with my wife, and, and I remarked to her, because she, she was trying to get my opinion about what was what, what I thought about what was happening throughout and whether it was accurate and stuff. One thing that, and I usually don't like to talk at all when, when films are going on. And you on, were talking so. during the film? Well, she was just whispering, asking me little questions. Cripes, you know. David. So anyway, I, I, but what I did say is that I have never, and maybe I've just missed it, but I've never seen John McEnroe spit on a tennis court. And he was depicted as having as spitting on a tennis court and I, I just think and I've never seen him do that to be honest the one thing he, 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 he wasn't happy about that now at the start it says inspired by true events and I always think well if you can't even say based on true events this is essentially not based on reality at all um, but the, the one thing that I specifically wanted to know whether it was real or not was at a change of ends during that final, I think in midway through the fourth set, so in the build-up to that tie-break, they depicted Borg saying to McEnroe, just chill out, we're having a great match at the yeah. check. Did that happen? I, I'm not I sure, I cannot be believe honest. that happened. Look, I'm, I'm, first of all, I'm not sure whether it happened it, it, precisely, but one of the reasons I would give it four out of five... now. First of all, I completely agree with you that the depiction of the action scenes of the of the actual points in that final was was wonderfully done because it felt real. It looked like them it, in terms of the style of their shots. They they they'd got the Borg backhand down to a tee. They'd got the McEnroe side on side on serve. They 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 were actually depicting the the points as they happened. And the reason that really you 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 would you would not have the same impact if you did it from live footage you've only got two cameras on things in that instance this was much more dramatically done you felt like you were in the final which was great um that specific moment uh, where they where borg almost kind of tried to just calm him down i i'm not sure whether it happened but what i do know having known them for many years since then or, or at least post-career is that that is the kind of relationship that they have. They have a deep understanding as as two people who are always depicted as so, such opposites and yet have got a heck of a lot in common and and truly love each other. I mean, they, they, they really have do. enormous respect, affection for one another. They love to be in each other's company. They shared something that they feel nobody else did. It is absolutely fact that John McEnroe didn't lose his temper in matches against Bjorn Borg because he had such respect for him, such time for him and Borg had a soothing effect on him and equally Borg could see the good in John McEnroe uh, uh, right back to that to those moments and I, and I think that that is one of the things that the film did a wonderful job of is just quietly almost unspokenly showing their their understanding of one another even before they really knew each other and and I loved that as somebody who's kind of dealt with them post career and 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 seen how affectionate they are towards one another I I really enjoyed that Um, at some point I'll write a a blog about what about other examples of of, of experience I've got of the two of them together and, and what they're like but no, I, I thought it was it was really well handled. I really enjoyed the fact that they had subtitles for 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 much of the Swedish conversation that was going on. I think that one of the things my wife said to me is, you can tell that this is not produced in Hollywood. The fact that it is it allows certain scenes to breathe and just looks to tell you the story and and, and doesn't doesn't require somebody almost shouting out, "This is what's happening next, everybody." Yeah, I agree. I, I would, yeah, I would agree. Four stars out of five. I enjoyed it a lot more than I expected to. The performances were magnificent. Now, the, 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 this next sentence is going to feature very high on the list of words I never thought I'd say. But Shia LaBeouf, what a performance! 
I thought he was amazing. Yeah, he, he was very good. It's John McEnroe. I, I, know, I know that the McEnroe camp are not completely convinced about his depiction, but I who, think... Who would John McEnroe enjoy depicting no. it? I mean, well, I cannot imagine him going, yeah, that was great. And look, you do me as well as I do me. He's not <laughs> and, saying those and, and words. And the one thing he? I do think that they... they they didn't depict now again I didn't know John McEnroe back then so we've since got to know him and, and we, we're aware of his humour and there was no humour really in that performance I didn't think Now that there might was no humour in the script though no it, but there, there wasn't the twinkle in the eye that, that we know John McEnroe has now that may just be post career maybe he didn't exhibit that mm. back in the day but what, what he did have I could relate to to that person's performance and you know uh, in, in terms of the behaviour being appalling and yet still getting this feeling that he's not all bad yeah it, I, I just think it's an incredible this of course applies to Borg as well I think it's an incredibly tough task uh, depicting a real life human being and not making it a caricature it is, and, 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 and I, it, I thought that was achieved. And it, and it is one of the reasons why I, I, the, the one problem I have with the film is the fact that it didn't stick to the facts, the true events. Now, I, I'm not sure if you properly collaborated with John McEnroe whether he would almost allow you to tell the story your way because he's he's he'd be so keen to do it his way, much as I like the bloke, that I'm not sure it would work. But I do think it's a shame that we even have this question mark over the facts because even if they were literally making stuff up they got the feel right yeah well your issue with it is the same as John McEnroe's issue with it the facts are good enough you don't need to fabricate or exaggerate or you know he he said oh if if only they'd asked me I've got cracking stories I could have told them but anyway I think it's a good watch Um, if you like tennis go for it a friend of mine watched it and uh, she said she didn't know who won the tie break or the match so she found the end tremendously exciting don't tell anybody (laughs) Um, so yeah I'd, I'd say I'd say go for it me too. I really enjoyed it. Officially, we'll, we'll have I'd to do Battle of the Sexes in a few months. Officially, the we? best uh, tennis film of all time. Um, we will. It's out in America, and I know that because they were doing the press junket for it at the US Open over finals weekend. And I witnessed uh, the stars having these very Hollywood lovey type interviews where they're all, you know, sat at sofas in the players' garden. And uh, even even if I didn't recognise them, I could tell the ones that were actors a mile off because they just exuded this sort oh, of... Oh, and how similar did that bloke look to Bjorn Borg in terms of his mannerisms? I mean, he I mean, had something special about him. He, he was mesmerising, the actor who played He was, Bjorn yeah, Borg. he was. He was sensational and a lovely touch. The uh, actor that played the youngest version of Young Borg, there were several Young Borgs of varying degrees of, of likeness, but the youngest one was Leo, Bjorn's youngest son. Who was excellent. Who was marvellous, yeah, and, and is a decent junior player. I yeah, think he's, he's 15 years old, he, he's playing some junior junior events. And Jarko Niemannen was the choreographer for all the tennis scenes. Oh, right. these are great facts. About that, that was given to me by one of our listeners, whose name I'm so sorry I've forgotten. But I mean, Jarko Niemann hasn't had his name mentioned on the tennis podcast for a while, so that's go. nice for him, isn't it? He's been waiting, he's been sitting and waiting. Um, so that is our movie review segment over with. There'll be another at the end of November when Battle of the Sexes comes so out. Have two I've seen. Best tennis films unfortunately, ever. I've read some reviews of it because it's already out in the states. Don't tell me. All right. Don't want to know. Um, okay, right. Well, that you've you've rather cut me short. Um, what else have we got? We've got some. Uh, we have done our first uh, wedding message this week. David. More words that I never thought I'd say. I think that's probably just below Shia LaBeouf putting a good performance uh, on the list of uh, things I never thought I'd say. Yeah, we we did a wedding message. We did to Chris and Livy who have got married and we're so happy for them and they posted a picture on Twitter do you know what when we got the request for it I thought this could be a wind up who, who wants a wedding message from David, Laura and Catherine yeah Whittaker? but who wants to wind somebody up by asking for a wedding message I don't know people go to great lengths don't do it alright you lot apparently um, apparently Pat Sharp receives 250 hoax requests for his DJing services uh, per week Pat Sharp of Funhouse fame. 
<laughs> nope, you lost me. Clearly not as famous as us. Fun house, a whole lot of fun. He's now a DJ and right. available uh, to DJ your events. But anyway, okay. I think people do go to quite uh, long lengths to wind people up. But I'm delighted to say lovely Chris and Livy weren't two of those people. Uh, and uh, we generally, genuinely seem to have um, enhanced their joy by a, a modicum. And uh, that's lovely. They posted a lovely picture. And um, that's just great. All we did was say, hello, this is uh, Catherine and David, and you're listening to Chris and Livy's wedding playlist. That's all we did. Yeah, we, we are available for, for, <laughs> for other messages, free of charge, unless we get inundated. Brian Blessed for the... Hold on a cool, we haven't talked this through. Brian Blessed, for the cool price of one grand, will record your answer machine message. Really? Yeah, well, for anyone. Give me a grand. <laughs> So there you go. If you've got a grand to spare and uh, you want a, uh, a cool answer machine message, go to Brian Blessed. But if you want one for free, come to us. Well, she's saying that. I'm not saying that. <laughs> Any other business, David, before I start telling you about other random celebrities that will do things yeah, one, for a paltry amount of, of money? Yeah, one news that we were very sad to, to read about was that our favourite tennis podcast guest ever, Mary Carrillo... Uh, was, wasn't very well recently. She was uh, clearing up after Hurricane Irma had done its worst in uh, her home in Florida, and she had a nasty fall, punctured a lung. So we were really sad to hear that. We've sent our very best wishes from both of us uh, to Mary from all of you, from Rosie the dog, from Magic the cat, from Catherine's brother, Catherine's dad, everybody we know uh, associated with the tennis podcast because she's a, she's a listener, as you know, and she's thanked us all for that, and she is uh, already on the mend. Happy to say, but get well soon, Mary. She needs to be well mended in time for the tennis luge double coming up in January, February. She's going to be my Australian Open Olympics buddy. And I, she's she also, doesn't know that yet. But. She's got another couple of impersonations for us as well. To go alongside her Arantxa Sanchez, she also says uh, uh, she, she's got a cracker of Monica Seles, if we'd like to hear it, and Nick Bollettieri. But Monica Seles, she says, would, uh, would beat players in 12 minutes flat, come into the press room, explaining in great galloping detail how much tougher the match was than the score suggested. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a few players that that could have that accusation levelled at them. Indeed. Rafa does that, doesn't he? It was well, a tough match. It was love and it. love, Rafa. You, you Chill out. You, well, you, I suppose you could come in and just say, I mean, really, honestly, she was just terrible. And I was, I was brilliant. The, the Elena Ostapenko approach. Yeah, that's the, end of the match. <laughs> This is my worst match ever. Bye. That's Mic it, drop. I think that is it. Yeah. So uh, we've been the tennis podcast brought to you and the tennis podcast re- movie review show. Yeah. Uh, brought to you in association with The Telegraph and with Eurosport. And we'll be back next week. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.